Well, you've, you've already heard the gospel in song, and let me share with you now um, the good news of the gospel from the word of God. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners of the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Let us stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, come to us again like you always do. Renew our hearts. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may hear your word and be brought new and made alive. Make us alive as only you can. I pray these words of mine would not be my words, but they be your words. And we're thinking this morning, and we'll pray for them more, but we're thinking this morning of the dear people in Miami today, that you, those who lost so much in the horror down there, that you will surround those efforts as we preach your word, and those people who need, who need to feel um, your comfort, pour your love in their hearts, our people from all over the world, um, our Jewish brothers and sisters who are affected, minister to them, Lord, and um, help the word to come alive to them today in all places where they're suffering. Through Christ our Lord, amen. We're talking about Ephesians. We're talking about remembering who they who they were. Is his first call of the of the gospel? This is interesting. Remember, and you hear this scripture. You hear that a lot in scripture. Remember, remember. All through the Old Testament, liturgy, uh, memory. Remember who you were. In this case, it says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, that done by the hands of men. Well, circumcision was a physical sign of Israel's covenant, kind of like the splotch on my face. It's a sign, right? It's given to Abraham in Genesis 17. And it pointed to the unique relationship that Israel and God had, really that God had initiated with Israel. So it's a sign of being an insider. The circumcised are inside. The uncircumcised are outside. Because God's plan, this was God's plan from the beginning to start with a small group and then have a global outreach to that group. But we'll get to that. Paul is saying at this point, remember, there was a point in which non-Jewish folks, Gentiles, who did not have the sign, the badge, they were outsiders. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. This means they were outside. These covenants were a, sort, uh, a set of agreements that God initiated with his, his people in Israel, back to Abraham, Father Abraham, and such. And it's Paul's understanding here. He's interpreting history for us. He's saying that at one point in history, to not have the identity of being a Jew meant you were separate from God and, and Christ, his son. In other words, to be separated from Israel meant you were separated from God who ultimately comes in Jesus Christ, since Israel is the setting in which Jesus came, came from. So it looks at one point in history like if you're not a Jew, you're not an insider and you're hopeless. But, 
now that's all changed verse 13 in jesus christ you who were once were far away have been brought near through the blood of christ here's where the story shifts but it's an unusual way in movies in literature stories there's this motif right of often the outsider who claws his or her way back into the spotlights you know, maybe it's the unpopular kid in high school who one day picks up a guitar or throws a good pass or some way becomes a rock star or a sports hero. Voila, they're back in the spotlight, no longer an outsider. The idea of an outsider who dazzles their way back to the inside, the center, is a huge part of the American story. It's a motif in a lot of our literature and stuff. But gospel story has that same idea, but with a different twist. But now, verse 13, in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What we usually do for ourselves, meritocratically in our society, in our, in our clawing up, in our uh, many things to be proud of, and those are good things, but there comes a point where you can't get there with God. So the... the the pulling yourself by your own bootstraps, inspiring as it can be in certain circumstances, spiritually just isn't going to cut it. God knows this, so God does it for us. He brings us near in a very distinct way through Christ's blood. This is the heart of the gospel. And it's one of our most astonishing claims as Christians. God is so intense on bringing outsiders in that God bleeds to do it in Jesus Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Let there be no doubt in our minds as to how much God desires to include you and me. God desires you and me so much to come inside, to bring us inside that he bleeds for that in his son. But there's even more. It's not just about being brought in the circle. It's about what God has for us when we're in. It's not just about being brought into the circle. It's about what God has for us when we're in. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Scholars tell us that peace in the Bible means salvation or rescue, harmony among people, wholeness, particularly in reference to personal relationships, relational wholeness. In bringing us in, God doesn't just bring us in and then we sit around. God brings us in and then gives us a gift of peace. And it's not just peace as an abstract concept. It's peace who is a person. Peace is Jesus. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. So here's the storyline of the gospel. We were on the outs as Gentiles. God's not content to leave us there. God brings us in by the blood atonement of his son Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, in culmination of all the sacrifices of the whole Old Testament Hebrew tradition in Jesus Permanent, once and for all, past sacrifice on the cross, blood atonement, kapoor, that covers us. God brings us in this way, not just so we can sit in and that's it, 
but God brings us in to give us peace. And this peace is not a concept to meditate on, but a person to be with. The Great Reformation theologian John Calvin said this about this verse. What a beautiful title is this which Christ possesses, the peace between God and men. Peace is not primarily some state to work ourselves into. Peace is primarily a person who we can sit with, talk to, as Calvin says, dwell in. Boy, throw that out to your peace-loving friends, right? Peace is a person, man. Peace, yeah, he's a person. Come on over, let's talk with him, right? Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. I want to work with this a little bit. Peace, this means something. It means peace is alive. Peace is alive and well, whether we feel peaceful or not. Peace is always with us in Jesus Christ. The fact that peace is a person, first and foremost, takes the pressure off of you and me to achieve peace as some state of mind. Because look, we inevitably feel frazzled and unpeaceful sometimes. And when we do, the gospel good news is that we can pivot off ourselves and turn toward Jesus and seek peace in person, in relationship. Hold my hand, Lord. I'm not feeling peaceful. <laughs> Speak to me, Lord. I cannot get to peace right now. The proclamation that peace is a person in Jesus is good news for us. <laughs> on a, on a, whether we're sitting in traffic and we're getting heated up, literally and spiritually, internally. Whether we're just nervous. If you struggle with anxiety, as I have in different parts of my life, that's good news because it means that in the anxiety we have, we have a, a, a person who can work with us and not just a, uh, a goal to achieve a state, but someone who will have a relationship with us who is himself peace in his presence. So it's good news for us as individuals, but it's also good news for us as a whole people. And here's where Paul takes this. Paul says that Jesus 14b, second part of verse 14, he has made the two one. Well, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. The idea that Christ has made these two groups one was radical for the first century. We can't overstate it enough. Jews and Gentiles were hostile to one another in the first century. Great hostility and intensity between them. And yet Paul is saying, our Lord has made them into one. Verse 14c, he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By the barrier dividing wall, scholars see a reference to the wall in the Jewish temple that separated the court of the Gentiles from the temple proper, which only the Jews could enter. It was the dividing wall between worshipers. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote that on this wall was an inscription in Greek and Latin. No foreigner may enter within the barricade that surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Ooh. The idea of Christ Breaking down this wall is symbolic, of course. The wall itself wasn't literally broken down until the temple was the temple was destroyed in AD 70 by Romans. That's when it literally came down. But spiritually, Paul says it's already down in Jesus Christ. Paul writes in first in verse 15 to Christ abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. 
What does that mean? It means there are no more rules? No, Christ abolishing the law here doesn't mean there's no more rules. Christ himself obeyed the law. He deepens the law in the Sermon on the Mount. He supported it as a guide to moral behavior. Even Paul himself, writing under the power of the Holy Spirit, supports the idea of the law as a moral and ethical guide. So what does he mean when he says he destroyed the law? It means he destroyed the law as a wall. What is apparently abolished and destroyed in Jesus Christ are the ways the law separated people. That's what was destroyed. These markers of the Jewish people that rooted in the law, that made them different from the Gentiles, they're abolished in Christ's flesh. As Christ fulfills the whole law, removes his condemnation, takes the whole sacrificial system up into himself as the Lamb of God, now the markers of separation between Jews and Gentiles no longer exist. So it's the separating power of the law that he removes. We don't want to misuse this verse and say, all right, now we can party. There's no more law. No, there's still laws and rules and, and ways that God's law is beautiful because it is a guide for living in Christ. But it does mean that now what separated us in the, in the ways the Jews and Gentiles were separate has gone now. John Calvin offers a helpful illustration he wrote, if two contending nations were brought under the dominion of one prince, he would not only desire that they should live in harmony, but he would remove the badges and marks of their former enmity. So now, you know, you don't even wear the uniform anymore. You're all one. Once the law that separates Jews and Gentiles is abolished, there's nothing left to keep them apart. And Paul writes in verse 15b, God's purpose in Christ, and here's the amazing news. Here's where this breaks out vertically. Remember we said peace in our peace as a person has a profound impact on how we live. If we can relate to peace as opposed to trying to achieve peace, we can have a peace in a person we can relate to and that, that works our hearts differently than if we just try to get there ourselves. That's how that works individually. Well, here's how it works communally. God's purpose was in Christ, verse 15b, to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Scholar Peter O'Brien points out that rather than just making the Gentiles into Jews, God creates a whole new people. It turns out both the Gentiles and Jews needed to, new, need to have a new relationship with God. Verse 16 makes that clear. In one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Ha, turns out the Jews, even though they had the law and the temple and the history and all the covenants and all that, they still needed to be reconciled to God, just like the Gentiles. How does God do this? Again, Paul, Christ's death. Paul focuses on Christ's death in verse 16. Both the Jew and the Gentile are reconciled to God through the cross. Here we go. I get this. This is awesome. This is verse 16. The cross by which he put to death their hostility. He killed the Jewish and Gentile hostility at the cross with Christ. It died there. What is in view here is both our hostility to each other and our hostility to God. Both the horizontal and vertical hostilities were killed at the cross. Imagine that as a massive claim. I told uh, my former church there was a there was a brouhaha in I was on a group of people in the church. There was some conflict. 
We won't get into all the details. That's less important than the point I want to make, which is when I met with this group, and there was some there were some challenges between them, and I said, look, I said, before we start and we get into it, what happened, I want you to know there is nothing that happened here that wasn't taken care of on the cross of Christ. Amen? Yeah. That's where we live from. Now, it doesn't mean there's not some work to do to figure things out and learn from each other, but we start with Jesus. If you've ever, if you've ever had a serious conflict with someone, perhaps you've gotten to the point where you realize you can't fix it. I mean, maybe you've been in that place interpersonally. I think we're at that place culturally with many of the issues that we face as a culture. We can't fix it in and of ourselves. It's unresolvable. It's unresolvable from a human perspective. And that is where we have to start with Christ and his perspective and his work on the cross. That he put to death that hostility in that situation. He killed it. We start from that reality of what he did and then we work from there. Doesn't mean we don't have hard feelings to work out. Doesn't mean we don't, we don't need to listen to people who we've hurt, who have been hurt by something, even though it's hard, when it's hard to listen. Doesn't mean we pat someone on the back in their pain and say, well, Jesus died for that. No, we listen, we hear. But it means that all of that happens at the foot of the cross where Jesus died for it all. And he is our way through. Sometimes in arguments, it's almost as if people feel someone needs to be killed or attacked, you know, spiritually speaking. Watch this in the culture. You know, even though people don't believe in the atonement necessarily, they still believe, they don't believe in the atonement of Jesus, but they believe someone needs to pay the price and atone. And we have laws and such like that, for sure. There's a, there's a place for that. But in an ultimate sense, right, Jesus has done that for us all, right? He has paid the price for us all. And that is the strength and hope from which we live. We bring that into our struggles and conversations about reconciliation. And that's the hope. If, uh, if, you, if you just focus on trying to get your pound of flesh and, and your, your restitution, and, for what, and it may well be well-deserved, and maybe there's a place for that, but if you live just from that as the ultimate thing, you'll never get there. It is only through the reality of what Paul describes here that we will achieve reconciliation true, deep, and ultimately healing by focusing on what Jesus Christ done. If, if, if we read this text in the way I think it's proclaimed, he killed all the hostility out there on the cross. He, everything died there, right? Doesn't mean we don't have things to work through. Doesn't mean we don't have things to struggle with. But it means we start there and we do it and we let that power and that that. Uh, reality of what he's done the actual reality that he killed the hostility of racism sexism uh hatred between all kinds of people groups enmity between political uh groups he killed all that on the cross right he it, it, it died there and and yet it wants to still tell you it's it's alive but he took it right and we live between those two worlds of living out that truth that it's it's dawn and it's gone and it's been killed and yet the residual effect is still here so we have a gospel for that as christians say that jesus died that's what jesus died for that's what jesus died for that's what he died for and then we 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 trust him to take that but we as christians don't live from needing our pound of flesh because jesus took that on the cross he died for it we need to inhale that grace where he took it. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. This peace is from Isaiah 
when he says in Isaiah 57, verse 19, promises Israel, he says, I will guide them and restore comfort to them, creating praise on the lips of the mourners in Israel. Peace, peace to those who are far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. What the world wants at core, what the world needs, whether or not it knows it, wa it wants it, what it needs is this peace that we only can come, only the reconciliation that can come through what Christ is on the cross. No amount of physical human atonement can achieve what he achieved there. Verse 18, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit, both being both people groups. No longer needing any sacrifices, no longer bearing your uh, family name as a way to get to the Father, or all the good things you've done as a way to get to the Father. As Jim said last week, good works won't do it. Or your history with the church as a way to get to the Father, or whatever. No, it's through Christ we come to him, through what he's done for us. Well, may it be so for us that we be a people who loves and lives in this remarkable gospel proclamation that we are one in Christ who put to death all the hostility between us, killed it that we might live free of it, and let that freedom empower us as we work out what needs to be worked out between, between these factions and these groups. Let that hope push us and give us hope that it can be done because Christ has done it in himself. In his name we pray, and I'll leave a moment of silence. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done to save us. Help us to live into it in every way. Through Christ we pray. Out of God's people said, amen.